This is The Playbook. It's Dave Meltzer live here at Collision with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I have been waiting for this. As we started, I am a huge Duke basketball fan. Uh, I'm a huge Coach K fan, but I'm also a huge Shane Batte fan. He is a winner at every level, not just on the court, but off the court as well. And if you haven't caught his podcast, it's the No Stats All-Star Podcast. And there's a lot of humility in that title. And we're going to get into that today. Shane, welcome to the playbook. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to have you here. So I look through some people's career. Let's take one of my business partners, Marshall Falk. Marshall, what most people don't know, most of the teams that he played for, they didn't win. And he did not receive individual acknowledgement until later on into his career. Well, didn't win the Heisman Trophy, wasn't drafted first. And yet, when he finally became, in other people's eyes, a champion, was when he left Peyton Manning to go to a grocery store bagging quarterback <laughs> at the Rams. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for me, there's a message of doing your best learning lessons and having fun and not attaching your emotions to the outcome. When I meet someone like you, on the other hand, who was a McDonald's All-American and has won at every single level championships and have gotten the acknowledgement for being one of the world's greatest players at their level each time, I wonder how you can stay humble. <laughs> oh. Well, it's ironic. Uh, now that I'm an old, you know, an old man, 44, looking back on my career. Just wait for 55, brother. Oh, it's great. You're I, young. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, look, winning for me was about survival. It really was. I, I grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan, town called Birmingham, Michigan, which, which you're aware of. I, my dad was black. My mom was white. Okay? I was the only mixed kid in town. I didn't know anyone like me. Wow. Was, I had no role models. There was no one like me. All right, I was a foot taller than everybody else. All right, so I, <laughs> at I, least I was a freak. You remember my family's yeah, five two. Exactly, You're at least a foot taller. <laughs> and we didn't grow up with much. All right, we had a leaky roof. You know, I remember what a government cheese sandwich yeah. taste tasted like. Why is that cheese so yellow? That's all. It's what I very say. yellow. It's, yeah. very, it's not bad, but it's yellow. And so I grew up. I tell people I grew up mixed, tall, and poor. Okay, <laughs> and so I was an outcast. The only place I ever felt at home and welcome. Was it recess mm. on the kickball field, on the baseball sandlot, on the basketball court, on the football field? And I realized at a young age, when I help my friends win, they love me and they want me around. And so I, I learned this lesson when I was like in first grade, kindergarten, like win or be scorned. Yeah. <laughs> and so my mentality was, I don't, I don't care what I do. What do we do? How do we play? How do we win? And how can I help my friends win? And that was the mentality that really carried me throughout my entire career. So it was never about like my performance. I didn't care. I just wanted to win. I was highly competitive. And B, I wanted my friends, my teammates always to have success. And now people say, oh, you, you won so many games. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I had great teammates, but it was always about the team, always 100% about the team, and it was never about what I did individually. And obviously, Coach K has had a great influence on your life. There's not one player that plays or knows Coach K that that's not the case. <clears throat> I'm curious, 
did you choose Duke because of Coach K, or did Coach K choose you because he saw that in you? Well, I'd like to think Coach K saw that in yeah. me. Uh, people ask me, what makes Coach K so amazing? He knows people better than anybody. All right, and, and in the coaching profession, he'd be a, an amazing CEO, whatever he, but he knows people. He knows how to push people's buttons to get the most out of them. And so I learned that when I was in high school. I had my pick of schools, so I could have gone to any school. And I had coaches offer me playing time and shots and no minutes. And okay. No cash. No, okay. no cash. Yeah. No, no before offered, NIL. No one offered you? Before NIL. <laughs> you didn't take it, but did anyone no, offer you? No. And <laughs> Coach K came into my living room. And he said, Shane, I'm not, not going to promise you playing time, minutes, shots. I'll promise you one thing. The opportunity to earn playing time every single day. And if you're good enough, you'll play. <laughs> I said, oh, you're talking to me. Yeah. If, I, if I'm good enough. I don't know about the rest of these cats. But when the smoke settles, smoke clears, I'm going to be there. And so Coach K knew when I was 17 years old, my button was an intensity about winning and competition that was what was maybe different, right? And he pushed that button like no other coach did. And, and so he had me hook, line, and sinker because I'm like, oh, I'm going I'm to show you. You're going to talk about me like you talk about Grant Hill, like Christian Leitner. I'm right. going to show you. There's going to be no doubt when I leave here. And so, um, so it was the perfect marriage of, of leadership and being able to get the best out of me by pushing that competitive button uh, when I needed it the most. It's so interesting because in my own career, not I'm below average. I've been told by my college football coach I was below average. I used to say <laughs> average Division three football player, and then I had him on. I had him on a podcast. He's like, "Let's be honest, Dave. You were below average." But I'm like, "Okay, that's fine." Um, but I have found on 1,500 episodes of the podcast, and you'll get there with yours, that there's a common denominator of this desire that you must be what you can be, and that can create this chip. And if people can press the button to activate the chip, like Tom Brady, Har Harbaugh knew what that was, right? Like these guys know exactly how to coach Tom Brady. He's easy. You're easy. But here's an immigrant that's a multi-millionaire entrepreneur, right? And came over from Croatia, not speaking a lick of English. And yet people look at him today go, oh, I'd love to have this life, this life, or this life. What was your desire that you must be what you can be when you're working the grill at Dairy Queen in Canada? You know, I can totally relate to what Shane was saying. Failure is not an option. Like, you, you do things to win. Whatever you do, you do it, whatever it takes to win. That's, that's the part of it. Yeah. Leadership, working with a team, nobody can really win on their own. You always need a good team and, and work together towards the goal. So. Yeah, it's so interesting that no matter what profession we have, there are those similarities to success. Now, one of my problems, you don't have this, is that at 24, I became a millionaire, by 30, a multimillionaire. I had everything I ever dreamed of, including one thing that a lot of people didn't get is I married my dream girl from the fourth grade who hated me through elementary, junior, high school. So, <laughs> like, when you talk about having everything you dreamed of and somehow through... You know, unlike athletes where they're like, well, there's no education and this. I lost everything because of my ego. I, I lost, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Same values, right? I was just shorter. <laughs> and I learned gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration at a young age. 
and I lost it because I started believing what other people were saying about me. And I hated the people which were closest to me that were telling me the truth. In my mid-30s, running the most notable sports agency in the world, multi, multi-million, over with over 100 million, I literally hated my mom because she told me the truth, my dad because he told me the truth, my best friend Rob, and my wife because they were the only ones in my life that weren't using me and it cost me a lot. How did you avoid that lesson that so many of us, you know, really, <laughs> I, I dove into it, let's just put it that way. I was lucky that I never took myself too seriously. And there was always a part of me that said, you know what, I'm an imposter. And you know, the posse's behind me, it's only a matter of time before they realize I'm a fraud. Wow. Right? Yeah. So after all those championships. After all those championships, I was still, I went into every game. Someone, I, I was talking to one of my, my, my best friend's uh, sons. He's like, do you ever get nervous for a game? I said, there wasn't one game I wasn't nervous. Not one. Because I was always worried that I wasn't good enough. I didn't prepare well enough. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. I didn't wow. get the right breath. And so my insecurity of, of not being good enough is what propelled me. And I said, well, I better play my tail off. Um, and I better be more prepared. And I better be in the best shape of my, my, my life because I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually not that good. And it sounds like false humility, but like that's what uh, the insecurity drove me. And when I had success, um, one of the lessons Coach K talked about every single day was the power of the next play. Right. Right? And so it was, for me, it was always, okay, next play. Okay. We won that game. Okay, next, who's next? Who's next? Okay, I got Kobe Bryant tonight. Okay, we won that game. Okay, who's next? Carmelo Anthony. Okay, who's next? And, and so I never allowed myself to really stop and bask in what I did until I was done. And maybe I didn't enjoy the journey as much, but, like, looking back on it, I, that was the fun part for me, right? Yeah. And so um, it was this combination of, of going on to the next play, being insecure, and, and being worried about, like, okay, Let's get through the next thing, which propelled me and didn't allow me to sit and read my own press clippings and, and think I was actually someone of, of, of note. <laughs> and how about you as an entrepreneur? Like coming from nothing, you know, to all that success, do you ever feel like I'm not worthy of this or I'm an imposter? Totally. totally. You know, I remember the days when I was working at Dairy Queen and, and I was grateful that I got this job. And then I get people lining up and the lineup is getting bigger and bigger because I couldn't really take their orders. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I was sweating, I was, I was shaking, you know. It got to the point that I was asking to be working back in a grill where I was away from the people. But it was a thrilling experience. It was humbling and, and it always made me want to do better, you know. Like spend extra time to learn another word, another sentence, um, you know, watch the movie, read the book. Yeah, I just have to tell you, Joe, man, I, I usually do these, like, Joe's my guest host here in Toronto. I called him Average Joe. I, I, I was trying to play around with, okay, how can I get someone else's perspective in a completely different, so I bring on the billionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, entertainers, but it's so great to bring on Average Joe to say, like, it's the same exact pressure at the till at Dairy yeah. Queen. Yeah. And, and everyone participates in their own perception. Um, now, one of the things that I do a lot is work with athletes after now, because I'm not a sports agent, in what used to, I call transition, I call it expansion now. And, and the reason I call it expansion is the successful 
business people, philanthropists that were athletes, transition was kind of the start and stop. Like, the, like there, I had to learn everything new and I wanted the perspective of, hey, you have extraordinary skills, knowledge, and desire. Now let's apply them to what is doing well, what's stable, and what you think is gonna do well for making a lot of money, helping a lot of people, and having a lot of fun. Because that's my mission, is to teach people that. Yep. You've done that. And so I was curious, in that expansive perspective, who helped you? Because a lot of uh, athletes, especially, have always had coaches, but somehow in that transition, as they call it, or expansion that I call it, they think they don't need a coach anymore. <laughs> well, I feel very passionate about my expansion story, my transition story. I really struggled. And I didn't want to play anymore. I played 13 years in the NBA. I reached every single one of my goals. Okay. I also married uh, my, dream my, my dream girl, oh. uh, uh, Heidi, Heidi Ufer, who I met in seventh grade. I said, I'm really? going to marry her, and I married her. It'll be, it'll be 20 yes. years. It'll be 20 Wait, years. This Best decision of your life, right? Best, oh, oh, oh. I'll, I'll kick my coverage. Exactly. I'll kick my coverage. Too many men don't admit like how important that decision is of finding yeah. your dream girl and yeah. marrying her. Yeah. And I, I just shout out to my wife, Julie, because I am not the man without her. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And when I finished 13 years, I didn't want to grind anymore. I want to do something different. Okay. I reached my goals and uh, there's not a playbook for that. Right. And what makes you an elite athlete, entrepreneur, CEO is your your inability to rationalize <laughs> and I have all the answers I, I'm gonna figure it out just give me space I'm gonna figure it out but guess what when I retired I didn't have that locker room I didn't have that purpose I didn't have that scoreboard we all have our scoreboard I didn't know who I was wow I didn't I didn't know if I had value um, I was scared people would forget about me and I didn't know who I was and so it, was there also this component because I hear this a lot not just from super champions like yourself but i felt this when i graduated college and stopped playing that i experienced my first death yeah 100 percent. no matter 100%. what level yeah 100 percent. and that's difficult to handle as alpha males we're told not to show emotion not to show vulnerability right and so i was a real jerk i wasn't destructive i wasn't like kicking my dog but my, my wife she's like you're a jerk wow and I was unavailable to my wife, the people who were closest, because I was just trying to figure it up by myself. So my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, look, um, I know you like choices, Shane. Here's three choices for you. Here's the number to the Marriott. Here's the number to uh, your attorney. And here's the number to this coach slash psychologist. Call him whatever you want. That comes very highly recommended. And I said, Heidi, I'm not a very smart man, but I'm going to choose door three. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I started working with my coach, and I still work with my coach, and it was really transformational. Yeah. And understanding who I was as a person, as a competitor, as, as a business person, as a philanthropist, as a father, as a, as a friend, um, really led me down a, a spiritual journey of, of vulnerability. And so I'm very passionate about that, talking to people who are going through this or preparing for this, uh, because there's, no one likes to talk about it. But we all go through transition at some point. At some point, we're all going to be the ex-CEO, right? Whether you're a, a stay-at-home mom and your kids go to school or CEO or chairman of the board, it's not an if question, it's a when question. So what are you doing today to prepare for that moment? And, and the answer is you, you, you better foster strong relationships, authentic relationships, like you said, David. 
finding people who will tell you the truth when you're being a jerk. Yeah. Right? And that's gold. And it's much easier to foster that on the way up than it is when you're, when you're staring, staring at the cliff. And when we get through that, which we both have, and I had that same moment, my wife was less subtle with choices. <laughs> um, but it was the turning point of my life. Yeah. Um, and then when I made through this transformation, I, I have this picture always in my mind that I always have to be reaching out to the Coach K's of the world, the Sean Batiers of the world saying, hey, you're sitting in a situation I want to be in. Give me instructions. Yep. I follow instructions really well, and I'm a hard yep. worker. Yep. And I still am at 55. But this is the other arm yep. that I see, Shane, that you have. Always reaching back. When you're sitting at the table, you're pulling up another chair saying, hey, come join me. One of the things I've learned is that the people up here are never the ones saying, hey, you can't make it. <laughs> it's always down these guys yeah. that are down yeah. here. And so I always want to be the person what are you doing today? We know what you're doing today up here yep. with your mentorship, but you have your podcast, you have your foundation. What are you doing today to lift up others, elevate others, to elevate yourself as well? I'm so fortunate to have opportunity and people give me a chance and believe in me, right? And so I think it's incumbent unto all of us, no matter what our role is, what our title is, to find people, lift them up, give them a platform, give them opportunities, and there are different ways to do that. So. Uh, my wife and I started the Batty Take Charge Foundation over 13 years ago, and to date we've given away nearly $3 million in college scholarships. Um, my motivation was to find kids like me who had the drive, the energy, the enthusiasm, the discipline, but not necessarily the platform or the network. Give them a chance. Now we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have healthcare professionals, we have people who are, who are changing the world just because they're given a chance. Right? I'm passionate about uh, affording young entrepreneurs, especially female, diverse, minority uh, entrepreneurs, give them a chance. Get them on cap tables. Get them in front of people making multi-million dollar decisions to give them a chance. Right? Let's get them in the game. And so I, I'm a huge proponent of giving people an opportunity, giving them a chance, and really banging the table like, hey, this is, this is the right thing to do. Um, and so. Um, because I, I lived it, and I wouldn't be here today without those who helped me get to this, this podcast here today. That's amazing, because besides the two feet that separate us in height, we've lived such similar journeys. And one of my newest uh, pursuits is to have the first male fund that funds women and women of color. Love it. Because I want to shift that paradigm that hey how do we get real intentional with the branding of men yep. that hey here's a whole bunch of guys yep. that are funding the best investment in the world which are women and women of color because if you take out stanford graduates no offense uh because they're in the silicon valley if you take out stanford graduates less than two percent and maybe this year less than one percent of people who get funding are going to be women or women of color, yep. and they represent 73% of the rates yeah. of college students now today. So um, to, to that measure as well, I have a quick story on the scholarships because I, I think it's important. When I ran Lee Steinberg, it was a requirement that you give back to a purpose or a cause, whether you created a foundation or not. That was important to you. So Chris Ariola, the boxer, he had to put cardboard in his shoes. But when I, when I made my money back, 
my very first paycheck from Lee, I, I brought to my wife and, and I gave it to her and I said, hey, I'm getting choked up. I said, would it be okay if I gave a scholarship with my first paycheck to my high school because me and my five siblings never would have went to college without the scholarship. It would have been impossible. And she said, oh my God, you get it. And she started to cry. And she said, but I want you to do one thing. She said, I, I want you to double it. And I said, uh, I don't get it that much. <laughs> I don't, but I, I worked on it. But I, I, I see that in you as well as a maturation. So real quick, extraordinary lessons. Um, you got to check out the podcast because these are the type of things that you talk about beyond. But faith uh, has played an important role. I, I have faith in something bigger than me that knows everything and loves me more than my mom. I don't like to separate by different religions, spirituality, philosophies, or theories. So I'm a simple guy, and I can't think of anything better to believe in than something bigger than me that loves me more than my mom that knows everything. And so I have faith. Uh, how has faith played a role in your success? I share your and thought. And you're a religion major. Right? I was a religious study major. That's yeah. why I, I studied all of them, just in case. Yeah. You know, I, I want exposure to all the religions, just in case, you know. Uh, but you, you, have to, you, you have to believe in something larger than yourself, right? And uh, my gratitude is, is sort of founded and, and, and anchored to, to, my, to my faith and my belief. And I didn't have an easy childhood, but... Um, I always thought there was a plan for me and there were opportunities that would be presented to me and I had to be ready to take them. And so with every opportunity that was given to me, I had amazing gratitude. And I said, this is a gift from above. If I don't try to make it work and do the best I can to take advantage of this, then I'm, I'm wasting God-given talents and, and gifts. And so um, I'm still that way. I'm, I'm still, you know, super... You know, focused on wow, this what an amazing opportunity coming on this podcast, meeting meeting great people, um, and that only comes by by believing in something much larger than myself. So I, I've, I've been blessed, and I, I practice gratitude every single day because man, I'm, I've, I've lived my dreams and living them still today. I love it. You're speaking my language. I always say, faith is gratitude of the future, uh, and it takes a great faith and gratitude in order to have gratitude for the future. Real quick, Joe, as we finish up. I'd love to see the average Joe's perspective, as I suggested earlier. No offense, calling you average, because I wish average, my bank account was as average as yours. <laughs> um, but more importantly, I was just curious, what's your takeaway from this podcast? You know, it's amazing to see that someone like Shane, so successful in sports, there's so many things average Joe can relate to. Like it's it's an incredible inspiration. Thank you. And he certainly is. And I want to thank you, Shane. I hope to do more with you, whatever I can do to promote or elevate awareness to your foundation, your podcast, or any of the business ventures, consider me uh, a mentor and a friend, and uh, you'll be hearing from me asking you for advice, mostly on how to be as tall as you are. <laughs> My, I know I gotta marry different. So just to finish up, so everybody knows, you know like most parents are like, to the, I have three daughters and a son, so like most parents are like, you know, marry a doctor, or marry in the same religion, or marry rich. 
there, there's only one criteria as a dad for me. Marry tall. Yep. If my girls are listening out there, they got to be at least at least six two. We got to change the genetic tree of the Meltzer family. I'm tired of the average five two height <laughs> in my family. So Shane, if you have any sons, send them over. I got right. gorgeous daughters. All right. Thank you for joining me. It's been Joe Tolzman, the average Joe, the CEO of Rocket Plan, an extraordinary entrepreneur, joining me with the incredible Shane Battier. Thank you so much for joining us here at Collision. Hey, thank you, David. It's a pleasure. Amazing. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.